it was time for me to stop blaming my mother for the shit in my life that was going wrong. It was really important for me to say, okay, you know what, now I'm responsible for my choices and what I'm doing and who I am. And it's very easy to blame our, my mother or our mothers. But at some point, we can be very honest and say, yeah, they were brutal and they were bad and they treated us horribly, but I get to treat me better now. My next guest, Amy Ferris, is witty, brutally honest, talented, and regal like Meryl Streep. She looks like her too. Ruth Penbaker of the New York Times called Amy's memoir, Marrying George Clooney, Confessions from a Midlife Crisis, poignant, freewheeling, cranky, and funny. It is all of those things, as well as a deep exploration of a complicated relationship with none other than her mother. Amy is an author, screenwriter, editor, and playwright. She also co-edited, along with Holly Dexter, the anthology Dancing at the Shame Prom. Enjoy my conversation with Amy as she shares her story and talks Buddhism, communes, how to get kicked out of one, midlife, truth-telling, family divisions, and more. Amy, welcome to About Your Mother, Where Your Story Begins. I am so honored to have you. I am so honored to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. As we talked about offline, I think this is very auspicious uh, that we are meeting at this time. And after having read Marrying George Clooney, Confessions from a Midlife Crisis, which by the way, slayed the title. (laughs) (laughs) I, I realized in reading it, not only did you have me laughing and crying, but so much of your book is about midlife. And I feel like women often in midlife were reflecting on where we came from and our mothers and how we were raised. And that's a big part of your book. And I know you're very vocal about your relationship with your mother. So can we just begin there? Tell me about your mother and your relationship with her. I would love to begin there. My relationship with my mother my entire life, I actually thought my mother was the most powerful woman in the world. And then I realized that no, she was angry. Oh, And that was really profound realization for me. I mistook all of her anger for power. So she scared the shit out of me. Yeah. (laughs) She was, she was not a nurturer, you know? And one thing I do want to say is that everybody always talks about having a really, you know, like bad relationship with their mothers or dysfunctional. What I realized, Jennifer, at the end of my mother's life is that I had a very honest relationship with her. She was brutally honest and very unhappy and had, like most mothers of my mother's generation, were not living their life. They were living someone else's dream. Yeah. And I I said it in the book and I'll say it here. I realized at the end of my mother's life that I had become the woman she wanted to be. Yeah. That shifted everything for me. I went from being so angry with her and so disappointed and resentful to really understanding that I got to choose a life. Mm -hmm. I got to choose this creative, wonderful, wacky (laughs) life. And she did not. She did not want to be a mother. She did not want to be living out on Long Island. She did not, you know, she, she became that woman out of necessity. But who she really wanted to be was this artist. And my mother was gorgeous and she was sexy and she was funny. But my relationship with her was very combative. She was also very competitive. 
Mm. And I think my dad loved me like crazy. So she, and, and I even say in my book, you know, she had this wonderful confessional moment with me. And she said, I wanted everyone to love me and no one to love you. Oh, that's one of the pages I, I have printed that here. Yeah. Moment was I, I, and my mother had dementia. She was really, she had gone from being so incredibly beautiful to being so fragile and sad and tiny. You know, it's not that she became smaller in body, but she did. It's kind of like she disappeared into this dementia. Right. And we were literally, I got into bed with her and we were watching television and we were talking about, you know, conjoined twins for whatever reason. I don't know why that even came up. You know, it's like, how can one go bowling and one, you know, like be a lawyer? I don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) It was like so bizarre. And then there was this incredible moment of clarity. And she said, I wanted everyone to love me and no one to love you. And that moment, I think, Jennifer, if that had been told to me any, any, at any other time in my life, it would have flattened me. Right. But because I had so much love and because I had this incredible marriage and I was doing what I loved with my life it became much more of an opportunity to love her Mm -hmm. and to realize that, oh my God, she's been carrying this in her body for 80 something, however long it, you know, it, it was a real profound experience. It also, to be very, very, very honest with you, it was time for me to stop blaming my mother for the Mm -hmm. shit in my life that was going wrong. It was really important for me to say, okay, you know what, now I'm responsible for my choices and what I'm doing and who I am. And it's very easy to blame my mother or our mothers. Sure. But at some point we can be very honest and say, yeah, they were brutal and they were bad and they treated us horribly, but I get to treat me better now. I get to love differently. I get to behave differently. So I took all of the bad stuff that I had grown up with and decided I would never do that to another person. Mm. I feel you on that because I, I certainly, yeah, you have to get to this point where it, it becomes acceptance to love them for all the imperfections Absolutely, becomes an acceptance. And I felt this with you and I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I felt as your mom was losing herself, you were finding yourself and you were finding a way to accept everything that happened to you and then to use it and say, well, she didn't get to live this way, but I do. It was acceptance. And I I think that that's something that a lot of women, I love that we're having this conversation because I think what happens is that a lot of women stay in victimhood and we're so much bigger and so much better and so much stronger and so much wiser than being a victim. Yes. You know, and as long as we blame another person, right, whether it's a mother or whoever, then we stay in that space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was acceptance. And it was also looking being able to look at my mother through a whole different lens. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when I arrived at the you know, assisted living facility where she was staying, I was very different than the woman who left. 
when I left, I was very, I felt very different about her. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I realized that I loved her. She brought me into the world. She did it imperfectly. She was, didn't want to be a mother. She did not nurture me or she didn't know how to nurture. But in spite of all of that, I know that she loved me in, in the way that she could. Wow. It's such a beautiful book on so many levels. And you have quite a story. And I want to hear more about your story because you are a high school dropout that <laughs> went to a commune in Oregon. Can you tell us a little bit about this? <laughs> I actually can tell you. I was 15 and a half and I had this I guess he was, I thought he was my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. I think right now we would all call him a one night stand um, <laughs> yeah. or maybe less, maybe just a one. Um, a hello. <laughs> um, and we were making out in the back of his car. <laughs> and he said he was going to Medford, Oregon to be in a commune with his brother. And he said, do you want to come? And I said, sure. You know how everyone always says, what would you write your younger self? And a lot of people would say, I would write, don't make out with Eric in the back of the car, stay in high school, get your diploma, go to Harvard. But, you know, I would tell my younger self, do exactly everything that you did to, because that's what got you here. Yeah. If I had done anything differently, I would not be where I am in any way, shape or form. I wouldn't be the woman I am. Yeah. And so yes, I dropped out of high school at 15 and a half. I went to live on a commune. I'm not even going to tell you the ugly, weird details. <laughs> Suffice it to say that I was thrown out for shaving my legs. Oh. <laughs> I was caught with my leg on top of the sink, the bathroom sink with a razor. So I was thrown out of the commune. And <laughs> for I just want to, for shaving your legs. <laughs> for shaving my legs. But the thing about it, which is really funny, is that so... The two, <laughs> they drove me in a Volkswagen Beetle from Medford, Oregon to San Francisco. Oh. It me off, and it was like okay. And then I, I had, I literally did have two friends who were in San Francisco and <laughs> called them from a phone booth. And sure, you you know, come and stay with us and our family. And then I hitchhiked, <laughs> hitchhiked across country. And ended up back with my mom and dad. And I got a job working in New York. And I always knew I wanted to write. Always. Always. And you couldn't be the writer you are today if you didn't have all of these experiences. All of it with your parents, your home life, the you know commune. So this is the thing that I was really curious about. How did you, you always knew you wanted to write. How did you get to writing and how did you get to being a screenwriter in Hollywood and that sort of thing? Well, getting to be a screenwriter in Hollywood was kind of like a very odd, weird route, but I was fortunate. I was really, really fortunate that be, I began chanting. I became a Buddhist when I was 19. That's what completely changed my life. Okay. It wasn't so much. It was that all of a sudden I was in a community. All of a sudden I was taken care of and it was very different back then when I was 19, which is many, many, many years ago in terms of what I needed. I needed to feel that I was a part of something. I needed to be embraced. I needed to feel, and it also 
gave me a true deep sense of self-power. You know, here I had left Long Island, went to live on a commune with a guy who absolutely did not love me. <laughs> it's kind of like, whoa, that's really bad. And I found myself, I didn't really find myself, I think, because that's, you know, when people say, well, I found myself, I think I found pieces of myself. Mm. And you know, I did a lot of, I, I worked restaurants and I worked odd jobs and I worked temp jobs and, and I loved writing, but I loved writing because it was one of the ways that I was able to connect with all of the things about me that were secrets. Mm. If I put, you know, when, when we were young, right. And we wrote in diaries, that was because we were, the, the diary was our best friend. Yep. You know, it's like I could tell my diary that I was in love with Richard Polito when I was 11 years old and <laughs> wanted to have his kids. Right. So writing to me was always a way of spilling my secrets mm -hmm. and never thinking that I would have to share those secrets. I always believed that if I got that secret out of my body, yeah, it wouldn't fester. I am with you on that for sure. And so writing for me was, you know, writing letters, writing in a journal, writing. And, and I think it really wasn't until the 1988 writer's strike, <laughs> <laughs> writer's guild strike when we yeah. were picketing. Um, and I was picketing that I, you know, met this woman and we kind of decided we were going to write a script together. And we didn't really know each other. And we thought, okay, let's take advantage of this yeah. opportunity where nobody is working. And we wrote a, a script and it got bought and then it got made. Yeah. And Which one is that? That's uh, wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah. Mr. Wonderful. And, you know, and so everything kind of came from that. I met Ken on that movie. Mm. There was a chunk of time where, I was writing, but it was nothing was happening. And I was writing and, you know, something got optioned, but then it, you know, fell away. And, you know, so stuff like that. Writing to me is really, really about that piece of me that I get to share with a piece of paper or on my computer. I get to spill my truth, whether somebody gets to read it or not. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's really important for me to put it out there. Yeah, I think writing a truth can be very freeing. And along these words of acceptance, when you start just putting all the truth on the page, it starts to make shape and you can make sense of the good and the bad. And I yeah. was really and I was really touched by how, by the way, I want to be a Buddhist because it sounds wonderful. <laughs> but I was really touched. You are a Buddha. Oh, uh, am I? <laughs> That's the whole thing. We don't have to become anything. Oh, we just are. We are. I am. I am a Buddha. Okay. You are a Buddha. Okay. I, I think we all. You know. That's also one of those wonderful things where you go, "Wow, I am a goddess." Like I don't have to go to a goddess school, mm. and I don't have to like take courses, and I don't like have to wear a crown, and you know. And it's like we are those things. Yeah. Just out of the gate. I love that. Just out of the gate. Yeah. We are all of that. And I feel like how has being a Buddha shaped your writing? 
I don't know if being a Buddhist shaped my writing. Yeah. Because I think that that's like saying, you know, how is being a girl, you know? Yeah. It's, I think that being a Buddhist has shaped how I see life, how I live my life. I think how being very much aware that I get to share pieces of me to inspire someone else, that's very, very much up. I think that's just whether it's you're a Buddha or whether you're, you know, practicing some other form or, you know, it's, I really believe with every fiber in my being that every experience that I go through is so that I can change another human heart. Mm. I don't, that's absolutely irrefutably how I live my life. Every experience, no matter what it is, is so that I can encourage and inspire someone else and say, if I can do that, hey, listen, I dropped out of high school. And if anybody, you know, this is not a life that I would have envisioned when I was 15 and a half living in Medford, Oregon, yeah. with a group of people who were, you know, kumbaya and, you know, and it's like, I got, you know, with my, I would have never thought that all those years later, that I would become this incredible woman and hmm. live this life that's exactly the life that I should be leading. Wow. So beautiful. And so what is it? Tell me uh, to be Buddhist. What's <laughs> the difference between Buddha and Buddhist? Is there, they're the same? Wow. That's profound. What is the difference? Um, you, I think, you know, Buddha, a Buddha, we should get Beth Brode on this phone call okay. um, <laughs> on the zoom. She is the most, she talk about Buddha. It's a, it's a life condition. You know, I think that for me, being a Buddhist is really about living my truth. It's about knowing that I can tap into my life and my power at any moment that I have in me, everything that I need. And I think practicing Buddhism is practicing the best of who you are. It's about manifesting your best qualities. You know, the world is really, really, really in pain. The world is bleeding. There is no two ways about it. If the world were a woman, we would be watching her being beaten to death. Mm. And everyone I know, and I'm sure everyone you know, has some struggle that they are going through, some profound struggle, something that they're facing, something that they're experiencing, some fear that they pushed down for so many years and now it's it, you can't put the cork back in the bottle. And so for me, living a life where I know that I can inspire somebody because I fucked up <laughs> royally, that's profound to me, that I could take every mistake I ever made and turn that into my mission. Yeah. That I can take every bad, fucked up, crazy ass motherfucker thing I ever did, mm -hmm. and I did much, and say to a young 12-year-old or 13-year-old, you're going to be okay. Yeah, such a okay. Because I think what happens is we look at, or we view mistakes, right? We mm -hmm. view 
every fuck up and mistake as such a bad thing. Oh my God, she was so bad. Actually, no, I was just, I was in pain. And right. I was, I needed someone to hold me. I wasn't bad. I was desperate. <laughs> right. Right. And so I think we need to inspire people that their mistakes that they made. Hey, they're gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Some mistakes we make and some we marry, some we sleep with, <laughs> some we don't even know their names. You know, some are so filled with shame. But that's what makes us so incredibly powerful. It's so true. And that's something that I learned from you and Brooke a couple of years ago when I launched on this memoir endeavor was that shame is your tool. Those are the things that's where Absolutely. the lessons and the power are, are those mistakes and where you have shame. And I had so much from my childhood, so much and how freeing it was uh, much like you talk about with your work to think if I get the truth on the page and somebody reads it, it might help them. And then it was worth it not only for the lessons for myself, but for somebody else. You know, one of the most important things Brooke ever said to me, and she has said a lot of, she's one of, she is, I love this woman with every fiber in me. And there's a lot more fiber in me now than there was five years ago, by the way. <laughs> she has been both my mentor and my friend and my angel and my, she is, the be all end all, as far as I'm concerned. I love her with everything. She said to me when I was writing Marrying George Clooney, she said, people will know if you're being honest and people will know if you're fabricating. People will know if you're writing this because you want it to have an effect. And so she put me on a path of writing my truth in a very, very different way, which was, I didn't sugarcoat me in that book. No. I didn't make me the hero in that book or the heroine rather, or the shiro. I, <laughs> I was very clear about all of the things that I fucked up with. And, and, and I think that that's what a lot of people also saw is that, or read, is that I didn't make anyone out to be evil and me. There wasn't curating on your part at all. No, and it was an opportunity really for me to write, especially when my mother was diagnosed with dementia. Because mm. at that point, the book was just wacky and weird. And, you know, and I was Googling old boyfriends and dropping Ambien. And, <laughs> but then the book turned because my mother was diagnosed with dementia and everything changed. Mm. And that was when both Krista, who was the publisher of Seal at the time, and Brooke both said to me, dig deep. Mm -hmm. don't, don't make this funny. Go deep. So the book really kind of takes a left turn. And I think I even, you know, write or dedicate that portion to Krista. It was very, very, very painful for me because I had to also see my piece of that experience. And you do feel it. And that's, uh, but that's why I loved the book. Cause I felt you going through that experience wholeheartedly and completely, you know, I, right, right with you going through that. And by the way, I love a big epilogue. 
I think it's great. <laughs> My book has one too. <laughs> big epilogue. That's a good way to put it. That is a it. very big epilogue. I love it. I think it's, I love it. Well, so what was your process like getting to that? Cause so many people are curious about process when you, when you produce something so magical, what was that writing process like for you? You know, I'm, my process is probably very different than, you know, everybody has a pro like people, there are people who get up at three o'clock in the morning and write for, you know, four hours. And there are people who get up at seven and have coffee and then go to the computer and they write, you know, 10,000 words or whatever. I am very intuitive about my writing. And the minute it had to, the minute it took a left turn, I had to really also take a left turn. You know, I wasn't, it wasn't the wacky, funny, Googling old boyfriend's book mm. or, you know, fuck you, Ken, fuck you, you're driving too fast. Or it was, it, I do that it, by the way. It was, <laughs> to my husband. I'm inspired. <laughs> See, I can tell him, Ken, women do this. It's not just, I needed to really, really, really be able to write the truth. So the process for me was that I had to do it in a way where I felt that it was very private, that I would lock myself in my room. Before it would be like, oh, I could sit and write. And, but it felt like I needed to write this in the privacy of my own life because I wasn't sure if what I was writing was going, I didn't, I didn't wanna fudge it. I didn't wanna make myself out to be anything other than who I was. I didn't want my, and I also felt it was really important for me to be very honest about my mother and my family and my life, you know, because I would have never had the experience of falling in love with my mother if I had never done that, if I had written it like, so yeah, I grew up on Long Island and my mother was very unattentive and she was dead, you know, if I had written it in a way like that, I don't think I would have experienced such an extraordinary moment of awakening about me becoming the woman she always wanted to be. I don't think that that would have ever manifested that yeah. way. And I can, when I read it, I could feel you falling in love with her and putting those pieces together that you had lived the life that she always wanted. Um, and it was so beautiful because oh, thank you so much because well, mothers aren't perfect. And, and some have, especially from that generation, like my mom ended up living a life that they were told to live. And, and as their children, we were, we carried that burden as well because there was unhappiness and, and that didn't always necessarily make them available to their kids. That's certainly what I felt with my mom too, kind of oh, a distance, a detachment from what was going on in their world. So I have a question for you. Don't you think that there are so many, so many, so many mothers that had so many regrets and secrets? Oh, yes, indeed. And I think, I think we're 
slowly getting to hear more women's voices, but from that generation, they were quieted, they were muted and they, and they had um, pain around that. They had pain around that and they, and they had to suppress it and they had to keep it repressed and they, and no doubt, you know, that added to anger and resentment and how they treated their other children and, and how they treated their spouses and their friends you know, when you have those kind of secrets, you've got a lot of anger. Yes, a lot of anger. You've got a lot of anger and it stays in your body. And then it it's, I think that's also something that I, I learned when my mother was in uh, assisted living and I would went to visit her and she like would hang out with these other five women who were all telling stories like weirds like one woman was saying that her husband was in the room and she was going to have sex with him, but he was with another girl. It was like, they were all making up these incredible, my mother was talking about a, you know, she had a child that was stolen, but now, you know, they found him at Applebee's, you know, I remember that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but everything, the thing that I noticed about all of these women were how sad their eyes were. Mm. You know, there was so much pain and I don't know, you know, it's like there's that not living your life, having a secret, pushing everything down. I'm sure my mother had many, many secrets. I don't know what they are, but I would wager that most of the women that she grew up with had all of those unfulfilled lives and lives that they wanted. Yes. And if we, as their daughters, do anything, it's we need to do our lives the way we want to. No matter what our relationships were with them, really, whether they were awful or loving or abandoned or, you know, we owe it to ourselves to be so very, very different and lead the lives that we want to lead and stand in our power and be tall and, you know, cause that's a really wonderful, because that's about mothering your own life. That's about mothering our own lives. That's important for us to do now. I have chills, Amy. That's everything right there. That's the whole, that's the whole, yes. That's the whole topic and the, and the legacy of this about your mother, where your story begins, we do owe it to ourselves to live completely as we want to. Absolutely. For not only for our sakes, for theirs. Yes. Yes. And no matter how they treated us, that's the thing. It's like if my, you know, my mother was not a good mother. On a scale of one to 10, she was a 12, you know, in, in bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, she was not a good mother. She did not know how to love, right. you know, and she was very jealous and very competitive and, and, you know, all of that shit. But I think we do. And I think we're at a turning point because we women, we need to raise the matriarchy. We need to raise our lives. We need to step into who we are. We need to mother ourselves. We need to not be victims. It's so important that we see how extraordinary we are. Messy as all get out, extraordinary. Yeah, extraordinarily messy. 
Yes, extra- and, and we are. Oh yeah, we are. I'm curious. Do you know your? Do you know the story of the relationship your mother had with hers? Oh, my mother loved her mother. Oh, she my did. Mother, oh yes, my mother was the baby of the family. She had three sisters and a brother, and she three sisters and a brother. She was the baby, and she was baby. My mother was like pampered and babied and my mother could do no wrong. And so my grandmother, who was profoundly amazing, she was like a real Russian, you know. I loved my grandmother. She taught me about skincare. I'll never forget it. Well, it worked. Your skin's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And you know what the secret is? Wash your face with cold water. Don't use hot water. (laughs) She always said, always rinse with cold. Yeah. always, always rinse for you. And, and truly deeply, I look at myself and I think, oh my God, I'm 66. And I cannot believe that I wear no makeup. Oh, great. <laughs> but that was my grandmother's great, you know, skin secret, but, um, she, they had, a, they loved each other. My grandmother adored her children. And I think my mother was the baby. So she was taken care of. So she didn't want to take care of anybody. And my father then came along and took care of her, you know? So it's, I think, I think it's just the, the kind of like the way that she was brought up to be nurtured and kept cared for. Right. And it wasn't something she was going to return. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, that's for me. Yes. Um, I can see that. She was like this. I like this feeling. I don't want to give this away. Right. Exactly. I want it. And, and just like she said, I never wanted anyone to love you. I wanted everyone to love me. Uh, that's it right there, right? Yes. So memoir, I've heard you speak many times about this, writing about family. You know, some people get scared. What do you have to say about that? What do you have to say about that process? Because it's intense. Well, my whole entire family imploded after my mother was diagnosed with dementia. Mm-hmm. And it's literally my whole entire family. What I could say about that is that my brother, I have a brother who I have not seen now in eight years. For a really, really, really long time, it, it hurt and it bothered me. But it hurt because I was thinking, what did I do wrong? How do I make this better? And I think when you realize that somebody really is nasty or somebody doesn't really love you, or no matter who they are, whether it's a brother or a partner or a friend, when you realize that nothing you do is going to make them love you the way that you need to be loved, at some point you have to stop trying to get that person to love you. That square peg is not going to fit in the hole. It just isn't, no matter how you try to shave that square peg. I think that it's, it was Annie Lamott, right, who said, if you wanted me to write nicer about you, you should have been nicer to me or some, 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 something like that. Yep. I think we all need to write our truth. I think that if we don't write our truth, then we're living in fear. But if we're living in fear, then what we're really living is very inauthentic. My truth was not going to mesh with how my brother felt but it would never mesh. If I wrote the most wonderful thing about him, somewhere he would find that I didn't write about that. Or So I think whether it's when it comes to our family, they also know the truth. 
and they're hiding it. They're keeping it. They want it. They want to suppress it. They don't want it out in the world. They don't want people to know that they're motherfuckers and assholes and mean and cruel and vile. And so they want you to not say it because they don't want to say it. They don't want it exposed because then they have to, then they have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can call you a liar, but they know that in their soul that you're not. And I think we owe it to all ourselves to write our truth. I'm not here to make my brother a better man. I'm here to make me a better woman. I love that. And, you know, I wasn't, when I wrote about my mother, I wrote the truth about my mother. And if my mother were of sound mind, she probably would have really loved it. Because for as much as we didn't, as much as our relationship was so difficult, she was also not, she was all, she said it like it was. I will never forget for my birthday one year she sent, and I don't know, I was maybe 28 years old, 29. She sent the birthday card said, dear fuck face. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> no, I, and I opened it up and it said, and it said, I love you with all my heart. And I was like, that's so incredible. Dear fuck face, dear I fuck love you with all my heart. And that, you know, the truth is my mother was very, she was very honest that way. Yeah. You know, she didn't, she wasn't, timid she was very out there but she was filled with anger and she was filled with sadness and regret and it manifested in very different ways yeah um but everyone should write their truth absolutely everyone should tell their story everyone should no we shouldn't care how a family member is going to respond yeah because as long as we live in that fear then they have power over what our words mean mm -hmm. and words matter. And I firmly believe, and it's one of the reasons I started the podcast, we all have a story to tell. They all matter. Each relationship we have with our mothers is unique and we need to give voice to those experiences. Cause like you said, it's empowering. It, it's validating. It's so validating. Oh my God. You know, our words, who we are, how we are in the world, we have to tell our truth. Yeah. You are so prolific on social media. What is that process like for you? You're so vocal and I know you give, I, I read the comments and things and that you really inspire people getting to your earlier comments on what, why you're doing this. You know, you want to inspire people to own their story and their truths. Talk a little bit about being out there on Facebook and how that's been for you and what that oh, experience God. is like. You know, mostly what it's been for me is I get a lot, a lot, a lot of crap when I write about politics or when I speak my truth about even the Me Too movement. Even when I write something about, you know, um, not all women tell the truth. I mean, I got blasted by like a whole feminist community at one point that I thought, oh my God, I don't need everyone to like me or love me. I'm, I'm excited when people respond that way because it means that I touched their life. It's kind of like if everybody, it, I think the thing about it is if somebody has a reaction like that, it means that I touched a nerve, right? Mm -hmm. 
when people don't have a reaction, you should go, oh, why? Why? What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> when somebody becomes so brutal or nasty or, you know, you've often obviously touched a nerve. You know, I have been called everything under the sun. I have been, it's like, I have crazy, and I wonder why people follow me. You know, it's like, I'm thinking, why, why did that woman follow me? Why is she telling me that God is going to punish me? She knows that I'm a Buddhist and I'm not going to burn in hell because I wear sunblocks. So, you know, it's not, none of this makes any sense to me, but, but I think it's really, really important that, I mean, Facebook for me is an opportunity. It all began really because of marrying George Clooney, because all of a sudden Seal Press said I needed to have a social media presence. And I was like, what is that? I didn't even have a blog. I mean, I didn't even know what WordPress was. I thought that WordPress was a like literary, a literary magazine. I had no clue. Yeah. And so I started writing, you know, some crap on Facebook. And then one day I wrote a post. This is what I know, post-coffee pre-wine. Love I, that tag. Love it. <laughs> and, and it was about um, an experience that I had had. And it was about, you know, feeling like I wasn't enough and, you know, whatever, whatever it was. And all of a sudden people started responding. Oh my God, thank you for writing that. Oh, I feel the same way. And I made a promise to myself that every day I would write a post on Facebook so that somebody can get out of bed. I made that promise that I would, I saw the reaction that what I wrote gave somebody else courage. And so I decided that I was gonna use social media that way, that I would every single day and I'd not missed a day that every single day I would write something to inspire someone to be get out of bed, to fall in love with their life, to see how extraordinary they are, to awaken to their greatness every single day. And I feel like there isn't a day that doesn't go by and there are days that I cannot get out of bed. And I'm being honest, there are days that I, cannot oops, okay. get out of bed. And I think it's like what I wrote today. I'm gonna write something so that not only can I get out of bed, but someone else can get out of bed. Mm. And so there are many, many, many days when I write political stuff. I mean, I have been like, <laughs> all right, you know, and it's okay because I am writing my truth and my truth isn't going to always make someone else feel good or happy or, and that's okay. If it gets them, if my truth gets their blood boiling, then maybe their blood boiling will make them a little bit better. Maybe <laughs> it'll get their heart pumping. I love it. Well, I am so grateful to you for a few reasons. One that you write your truth and you do it so well and that, and that you do it and not only for yourself, but for others. Right. And also I have learned a lot from you, just following you, reading your book, (laughs) feeling empowered to write my truth, you know? So I think what you're putting out in the world is just helping so many people and 
Is there any greater thing than that? Well, now I want to tell you, so I'm looking at you this entire time and I'm thinking, okay, okay, who does she look like? Jennifer Lopez. Oh, really? Oh my fucking God. Oh, you're so Jennifer. And you know, we could do a whole Jennifer thing. No, you're so magnificent. I mean, and you're so magnificent inside and out, but I, I was thinking, oh my God, who does she look like? And now it all of a sudden it like, well, now we're going to be besties, Amy. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I do too. I think Mark was right. My husband, I have a, I have a Ken too. His name is Mark. Um, and I feel so fortunate to have had found him. And when I read your passages, he's like, oh, you, that's your soul sister right there. What a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for doing this. Hopefully that was good for you. And it you like the experience? incredible for me. Oh, and I did. Okay. I felt like, oh my God. And seriously, you are just magnificent. Oh, and you are. You shine from the inside. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You too. Don't you just love Amy's intrepid truth-sharing voice? I think we can all benefit from embracing our narratives as freely as Amy has hers. After my recording with Amy, she received the blue check on Facebook, confirming she's an identified public figure. What I found really cool about that validation, not that she needed it, was because her Facebook voice started with her intention to speak her truth, and that if speaking her truth lifted someone else, got them out of bed, well then, that effort was worth it. Some things about social media do, in fact, work. Isn't that nice? Until next time, stay curious and be well.